0: Uh, for a number of years in America and uh, one of the syndicated uh, newspaper cartoons was called Kathy and it's a sort of a single woman roughly in her 30s and in one cartoon she uh, is sitting at her table she's all alone uh, with her thoughts And, and this is what the bubbles say above her head in this cartoon strip first one, things I should have done at work she thinks to herself Things I wish I'd said to Irving. Things I promised myself to never do again, but I did anyway. Ways I made myself miserable that I could have avoided, and a look of depression deepens. Things I could have done for my family, my puppy, my friends my co-workers, my neighbors, my finances, my home, my closets, my diet, and millions of people in need whom I've never met. And in the final frame, Kathy summarizes her plight. Even when I'm not going anywhere, I have 300 pounds of luggage with me. Well, I think there's a lot of people who feel like Kathy. They carry around with them this heavy luggage of guilt, condemnation, and regret. And that's often just in relationship with other people. When you factor in what is my relationship with God, well then, things can get a lot heavier there. Amber uh, became a Christian in her 30s and she is still haunted by what happened in her 20s with an unplanned pregnancy. She thought that the man she loved was going to be her lifelong partner. And yet when she shared the news with him, his first response was so hostile. How are you going to fix this problem, he said. While she felt so alone and unsupported, she didn't think she had any other way out but to have an abortion. Following the procedure, she she couldn't sleep or eat for weeks for the grief and the trauma of what she'd just been through. He told her to stop making a fuss and to move on with his life, with her life. And she knew at that moment that there was no future in that relationship. And so there, if you met uh, Amber, in her 30s at church, she would be outwardly confident. But inwardly, she feels haunted by this guilt. And when she thinks about it, anger that uh, uh, what happened that led her to take the life of her baby. Now, there are things that we've done that can fill us with deep regret and guilt. But also, there are the good things that we could do that we didn't do that can also haunt us. I remember one elders meeting in America, um, and uh, each of the men around the table, they were impressive, godly people. And uh, we just took time during the the, the, the gathering to say, what's happening in your life? How are you you doing? How are you going? And uh, one by one, we went around the room, and each man, each of us, expressed ways that we were loaded down with feelings of, of guilt and condemnation. For some, it was some things that they'd done that they regret, but for many, it was like the good things that we had a sense that we should be doing, but we hadn't done. Well, what does God have to say to us about that? Well, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and you'll find that in the church Bibles on page 1134. Romans chapter 8. We're going to take about five Sundays to get through this chapter. Uh, But this morning we're just going to focus on the first four verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh but according to Spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray, shall we? Abba Father, help us to grasp all that you've done for us through your Son. Help us to all take our refuge in Jesus Christ. And by your Holy Spirit, be assured that we are loved reconciled children who are secure for all eternity we ask this in the precious name of jesus amen well this is this is rightly one of the most loved chapters in the bible because it's filled with great assurances for the christian believer god wants us god wants you to be secure in his love and to enjoy, for you to enjoy your relationship with Him. But we're, we're tempted often to, to doubt that God specifically loves us. Because we're so aware of our past. We're so aware of our ongoing struggle with sin. And, and, and too, that sort of the, the impact of suffering and even death coming close to us shakes us. And we can doubt this very truth. And so we're going to take time to soak in this chapter. I'd encourage you to kind of read it through at least once or twice a week over the coming weeks to let these truths sink deep into our souls. And so that we will not be able to just sort of intellectually say, yes, I know this is what Christianity says, but I know it's true for me. Because when we get this stuff, it's utterly transforming. That's what I trying to try and convince you of this morning. The central point of these first four verses is this, to, that we can be confident about our freedom from the condemnation of God. We can, we can be absolutely confident of our freedom that we're no longer under the condemnation of God. Have a look at verse 1 again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a great verse. You should memorize this verse. It will do your soul good to repeat it to yourself regularly and often. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, in the light of everything that he said so far in his letter, in the light of that, therefore, there is now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think this is one of the unique things about the Christian faith, is that we can know today what is going to happen on the future judgment day when we stand before God. After speaking at a Thanksgiving service, uh, a Muslim uh, came up to me and he told me that he was utterly amazed to hear someone in church talking about the judgment day. He, he could not believe it. He said, people don't talk about the judgment day. And he could not believe what I was saying that we could know now what the outcome would be on Judgment Day. Because in the Muslim faith, you can have absolutely zero certainty. You know, the, the Quran says that Allah will weigh the scales of your life, whether the, the, your good deeds and bad deeds, and, and who knows how that's going to turn out. So you can have no confidence. You, you go through life with great anxiety. What will happen on that day? Couldn't believe it. He said, I wish my wife had come. So here, I said, well, we meet every Sunday. You're welcome. I don't know why he's, he's taking up the offer yet. And the amazing thing about this knowledge is that we can have confidence in it because it doesn't rest on our good deeds. It doesn't rest about the good things that we had done. Um, Now, I'm aware that for some people in our culture, uh, this might seem unremarkable statement, because you've got such a low view of the character of God, and such a high view of yourself, that you think, well, God doesn't really care about how I behave, and uh, you know what, if I end up standing before God, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. I've never murdered someone with an axe, you know, I'm I'm basically okay, and you know, God and me, we're mates, we're going to get on great. God will simply brush any of my mistakes under the carpet. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. Unbelievably, that's often played at funerals. Shows a singular lack of self-awareness. Now, the point is, the God that you've got in your head is, is not the God of the universe or the God of the Bible. It's an imaginary God. This God who just will take you as you are and you're just fabulous. Because actually the God who is there is a God who is passionate about justice. A God who will punish all sin and wrongdoing. A God who is holy and righteous and good. And actually, when you understand your track record, it would be a scary day to stand before him as a sinner. Because... Paul has already established this in the letter. If if you're new to church and this sounds, gosh, these guys are so depressed and depressing, well, you, you sit down and read the opening chapters of Romans and see how it relates to you because he basically covers every sort of category of person, whether you're a hedonistic pagan or a moralistic pagan who's very confident about their ethical values, whether you're religious or irreligious, it says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we're under his condemnation. And so the thought that actually one day I'm going to stand before him, if we rightly understand that thought, we would be terrified. And we would think, how on earth am I going to survive on that day? Because this is a God who's not only seen the the things I've done. he, He knows my heart. He knows the attitudes that I felt towards people. He knows my duplicity. How on earth could I stand before him on that day? Now only when you kind of read through Romans and and understand this about God will you find when you get to Romans 8 that this is just such an incredibly precious statement. There is therefore now no condemnation. Wow. There's a way that I can be confident now that I will not be condemned. And we're going to explore that this morning. But it's important to realize before we go further that this is not automatically true for everyone, for every person. Um, Let me just just quickly show you the structure of how this works. So you've got this amazing statement in verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then you've got kind of two explanatory sentences where he explains how this can be true. Uh, Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then he gives another explanatory sentence, verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now, I realize that if you're new to church and new to the Bible those sound very complex uh, sentences. They're, they're, they're packed full of, 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 of information. And so we're going to unpack it just a little bit uh, this morning. But one thing is obvious. And it was there in the very first verse. The people who can know that there is no condemnation are those who are in Christ Jesus, that's clear, isn't it? That's how I know uh, what's going to happen on the final day. That's how I'll know that there's no condemnation if I am in Christ Jesus. So, so what does that mean? Uh, We've we've thought about this a few times as we've went through this series, but uh, let me remind you of some analogies that help me. Let's imagine that you are finally fed up with this winter, and I am. uh, And 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 you're fed up of, of. of it being cold, and, and the winds, and the rain, and the floods, and the pestilence. My goodness, it's all happening, isn't it? And, um, and you think, I, I want to go somewhere where it's sunny, where the sun shines, and where it's warm, where, where you get that tingle on the skin. I'm going to go to Gran Canaria. Now, how are you going to get to the Canary Islands? Well, I suppose you think, well, I'll swim, I'll swim. Now, if you're a phenomenal swimmer, you might just get across the English Channel. No one has swum to the Canary Islands, right? You actually have no capacity to swim to the Canary Islands. You're never going to get there in your own strength and ability swimming. So how on earth are you going to get there? Well, you're going to need something, aren't you? I don't know. How about an airplane? Uh, Jet 2 fly there from Edinburgh. Other airlines are available. Um, how, How do you get... To Grand Canaria. There's a plane. It's, it's in Edinburgh Airport. How do you, how do you get to Grand Canaria? Well, it's quite straightforward, isn't it? You've got to get in the plane. You've got to be in the plane. Uh, you don't get under the plane. I wouldn't advise you to sit on top of the plane. Uh, there's no point you're going to the airport and, and being inspired to emulate the example of the plane by running down the runway with your arms out like that. <laughs> It will do you no good. You'll just you'll get arrested probably and taken somewhere safe. Now you've got to get into the plane. How do you get to God? Can you get there by your own efforts? Well, not if you've understood the opening chapters of, of Romans, no. We all fall short. How are you going to get to God? You need to link yourself and unite yourself with Jesus. You need to be in Christ Jesus. And how do you do that? Well, Paul's been teaching this letter to the Romans, that you must put your faith in Christ Jesus. Each, each of the persons shared in their testimonies shared about the point where they decided to put their faith in Christ Jesus. It means that you're trusting Jesus. You're, you're identifying yourself with him. And if you've not done that, do you know what? You could do that today. Uh, There's a prayer in the bulletin that you could use where you talk to God and you can say to God, look, I want to be so connected and identified with Jesus that that he is my life, that his death will count for for me so that I can be forgiven and his resurrection life will be at work in me. Would you forgive me and change me? There's a prayer that you could use. The three people getting baptized today, really, as, they, as they're going to go and stand in the water and, and be put under the water, come out of the water, they're kind of symbolically showing that they have united their life to Jesus. As Jesus was crucified and died, we're going to bury them under the water. As Jesus was raised on the third day, we don't take three days. We'll get them up quicker than that. I think three minutes is all you have, really, but we'll, we'll get it un, we'll, you'll be up in three. Don't worry as a picture of, their, of, of being raised with Christ. So that's how we have know that we have no condemnation, because we are in Christ Jesus. Now we get this two explanations. Explanation number one, verse two. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What, what is he talking about when he's talking about the law of sin and death? Well, surprisingly for Paul, who was a very religious, devout Jew, uh, he's talking about the law of Moses, the moral law of Moses, the law of God. You've heard about them, the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make any uh, images of me, not take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not... Uh, Commit adultery, you should not steal, and so forth. And so when God gave that, he was letting us know um, that when we murder or commit adultery, we're breaking his law, and so we're condemned by God, and we're deserving of his sentence of death. And Paul describes um, this moral law, which is good and beautiful, as the law of sin and death. Because when, when God's law meets our sinful nature, what it does is it convicts us of our sin. It shows us that we do keep breaking the laws. And what's more, such is the toxic nature of our sinful flesh, as the language describes it. It doesn't mean your physical blood and tissue, but just our our nature, our rebellious nature against God. Such is our sinful flesh that when we come up against God's laws, there's something perverse in us that goes, I can't do that, I'm going to do that. And it seems to provoke sin in us. And the more that you kind of know that you want to do the right thing and try hard to do it, you will keep coming up against this challenge that your sinful nature just seems to be like that, trolley that we talked about a few weeks ago that's always veering off to the side. You try and push it straight, but it always keeps smacking into people and smacking into stuff. And the harder you try and push it straight, the more frustrated you get. And so at the end of chapter 7, as Paul wrestles with this experience, the Apostle Paul in his own life, he gets to verse 24 and he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? His frustration with his sinfulness, which he knows deserves death, which is why he calls the law, the law of sin and death. Who's going to rescue me from this condition? And then verse 25. Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So look at verse 2 again. He's he's explaining how there can be no condemnation. He says, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, God's Holy Spirit has set us free from this law of sin and death. This principle that if you, if you break the law of God, you are guilty and under condemnation. Through Christ, God's Holy Spirit liberates us from the judgment. He connects us to Christ. So the issue of condemnation is dealt with forever. Why does he refer to the Spirit as the law of the Spirit? Well, I think it goes back to these promises in Ezekiel uh, that was read to us earlier. You know, God saw the the brokenness of his people that that caused them to be scattered to the nations. And God says, you know, I'm going to regather you to be my people. And I'm going to clean your uncleanness. And I'm going to put a new spirit in you. Uh, and um, uh, I'm going to change your hearts from being hearts of stone that seem to be resistant to me to being hearts of flesh that are eager to obey me. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you which will motivate you and you'll have desires to want to obey my laws and, and live for me. God says uh, to Ezekiel, through Ezekiel the prophet, you know, 600 years before Jesus, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what the text is telling us, that actually God did this and achieved this through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that we can receive the Spirit of God who comes down into our lives and transforms us from the inside out and gives us a desire to repent of our sin and to trust Christ. It is the Spirit that connects us to Jesus so that we are in Christ Jesus and can experience this no condemnation state. First explanation. The work of the Spirit that connects us and liberates us from this um, condemnation of the law. Second explanation is in verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do So we've covered this, haven't we? The law is great in itself. The problem is that my sinful nature just doesn't want to follow the law. In fact, it wants to transgress the law. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, my sinful flesh, what it was powerless to do, God did. God did it. How did He do it? Well, verse 3, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. What an amazing statement this is about Jesus, this, this one who is clearly a man. The Bible tells us God has achieved this salvation. God makes this relationship with him possible, and he did it by sending his own son. In the original language, it has a sense of, of himself, the son. This is a complex idea in, in Christianity, that there is one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're in mystery territory, and how that works, the three in one, the one in three. But nevertheless, that's what the Bible tells us. And this God is so committed to wanting a relationship with you and me that he did something extraordinary. He did what we could not do. Sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh, it's a very careful phrase because it's telling us he truly was, was human. He was a genuine human being. He had flesh and blood like us. But he was different to us because it's the likeness of sinful flesh. The bit that he wasn't like was our sinfulness. And by sending his son, who was a sinless, perfect man, God was able to effect this salvation. How did he do it? Well, he sent his son to be a sin offering. If you read any of the gospel accounts, you know, 30 years of life are barely covered. The last three has more attention, but most of it is on this last week, and most of it focuses in on the cross. Because this is the central thing about Jesus. God sent him into the world in order to die upon a cross to be a sacrifice in the place of sinners, a substitute. And, and, you know, so how, how is it that there can be no condemnation for me on Judgment Day? Well, it's quite simply this, because God did it. God took the offense upon himself in his son. Jesus, on the cross, bears the condemnation I deserve for my sin. He bears it in his own flesh on the tree. And so that he is punished and he dies instead of me. It is an amazing statement. This is the main thing that we need to understand about Jesus. He is the son of God who came on take human flesh to substitute himself in the place of sinners so that our sin problem could be dealt with. This is the greatest issue. I don't know what you're worried about today. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I wish I could lose a few pounds. I was, wish I was more beautiful. I wish I could pass these exams. I wish I had more money. You know, you, you think of you various cares and concerns in your life. But this is the most important issue. How will my sin be dealt with? How can I be right with God? How can I be prepared for that final day when I will meet with this holy God? Well, you know, you, you can't do it for yourself, but God has done it for you, by sending his own son. Do you see why? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because if I'm in Christ Jesus, then all the sins and guilt and condemnation uh, that I deserve has been punished. And there's no condemnation left for me. That's how there's no condemnation. It was so costly. But God has done it for us. What is amazing about um, verse 3 and verse 4 is, is, is it tells us two aspects of God sending his son. One is that he deals with my issue of condemnation. But verse 4 is, 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 uh, is extraordinary because it's, it, it deals with the other side too. I mean, just think about this in marriage. Uh, when two people join their lives together, they kind of join their assets and their and their debts together. Uh, I don't know whether Kate Middleton had any student debt from a time in St. Andrews, but the day she stood at the altar uh, with Prince William and said, I do, I don't think she worried about her credit card payments. He assumed all her debts, if she had any. I don't know. I don't want to be libelous if she had them. Uh, and she secured his wealth and his access into royalty and nice houses and and all the privileges that come with it because they're united together. The glorious thing that happened at the cross is that Jesus takes all my moral debt. He takes all my condemnation. And guess what he gives me? He gives me all his righteousness. For Jesus perfectly obeyed the law of God in every way. God delighted in him for what he did. And all of that is counted for me. And this is what Amber needs to hear, isn't it? When she's plagued with that sense of her guilt about having an abortion. Since she put her faith in, in Jesus Christ, there is, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Her sins, all her sins, have been condemned and punished in the body of Jesus. He paid it all. There's nothing left to pay. Now that's true for every person in Christ Jesus. I want to say to you, have you done that? Have you you put your faith in Christ? Have you united your life with Jesus? What's holding you back? It's the best news on the planet. Use that prayer use it today because that's the only way we can be freed from sin and condemnation but this other side of the exchange is also extraordinary the way that we get well look at, let's read it again and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us when you unite your life to Jesus not only does he deal with your debt issue but actually, his moral perfections is counted as yours. The righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who've put our faith in Jesus. And in fact, that's what the elders in America needed to recall that night. Even as they were sinking down with the weight of condemnation for all the good things that they had failed to do, uh, we all needed to be freshly reminded that the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us. You know, on that plane to Grand Canaria, do I have the ability to to fly? I don't have the ability to fly. I flap my arms, not a lot happens. But actually in that plane, I have the ability to fly. God looks at us in Christ and he sees all the moral perfection and righteousness of Christ and he says... That guy can fly. Fully met in us. Do you see the liberty and the freedom that we have when we're united to Jesus Christ? I don't think we get this enough. I I have too many pastoral conversations with others and too many internal conversations with myself to believe that we fully grasp this. We have a deep tendency to go around and find some heavy luggage and pick it up and wander around. And if we get this verse... It's saying, put the luggage down, get rid of it. There is no condemnation. The righteous requirement of the law fully met in us. And you know, when you're starting to feel as a Christian plagued by that guilt and condemnation, get closer to the cross. Come and read it in his Word. Start singing these hymns that we love until the truth goes deep into your heart and your soul. We sing some wonderful songs that remind us of this truth. In my place, condemned, he stood. In my place, condemned, he stood. Sealed my pardon in his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Because the sinless Savior died... My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's the truth of the gospel. And he's given us his spirit. We're going to think more about this. The spirit that connects us with Christ is the spirit that he gives us to enable us to live these lives where the righteous requirements of the law work themselves out day by day the spirit of life and joy and peace we're not to live with a sense of burden and failure but with the confidence that god has done it in his son he's given us his spirit to connect us to his son and we're going to face these challenges in life with the holy spirit knowing that god loves us so much and our eternal security in these truths. And I hope over these weeks that we'll just grow with bigger grins and go out with lighter steps at the joy of this. Let's pray.